0: On today's episode of Gathering the Kings,
1: if it wasn't for the systems I created early on in my business and working on empowering my employees to make those decisions, to make changes so that they can continue to add to the system or improve the system, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. You are listening to Gathering the Kings with Chaz Wolf,
0: featuring fellow seven, eight, and even nine-figure business owners who have real battle scars from business and life, but Grab your pen and notebook because we're about to dive in. What's up, everybody? I'm Chaz Wolf, gathering the Kings. I've got Jake Ingledew here on the King stage. Welcome, my brother. How are you?
1: Good, man. Thanks for having me on. I'm super excited about this.
0: Dude, I had to stop our conversation and hurry up and hit the record button because we were just going back and forth with so much awesome stuff already. Everything from just capturing your you're on a podcast, you got your own podcast, you got multiple businesses. I'm excited for this conversation. So tell us Tell us what you're mainly up to.
1: (laughs) Oh gosh. I've got my hands in too many fires right now, dude. So I own 417 Pest Solutions, which is a pest control company and it's doing really well. I just recently started a lawn mowing company and it's pretty much running itself. I just have once a week meetings with it. I've got the podcast, the Growth Circle podcast. And then I'm also actively investing in real estate. And right now I've got four houses that we're working on. And then, I mean, my business partners are looking at purchasing another business. So that's in the works right now. So that's pretty much what we've got going on right now.
0: I love it. Yeah. It's just a classic example of multiple hoses filling up the pool. And I think I can relate to that. I think a lot of entrepreneurs can relate to that. I'm going to dive into some of your story here because I want to know some of the things that you've done to be able to do that. I think a lot of entrepreneurs try to do all of what you just said all at the same time, and it actually becomes a big distraction and they don't do anything very well. So I definitely want to d- get into some of that as well. But before we do, Why are you pushing the way that you're pushing, bro? You're going in a lot of different angles at once. There's obviously a bigger picture to you. What's your big why?
1: I think there's a lot of reasons, but yeah, it comes down to my why, my vision. And uh, and essentially it's freedom. I want the freedom to be able to make choices. And people say the money's the root of all evil, blah, blah, blah. There's a lot of stuff out there. A lot of stigmas about money. But money allots me choices. So I can do whatever I want with whomever I want, whenever I want, wherever I want. And I can live a more intentional life, especially since I've got a family and yep. I can choose to be with them or I can choose to work or do other things. And wealth is, allows me to do that. So that's why I'm just pushing so hard to, to provide financially that way.
0: Yeah. No, I love it. So I'm curious to know underneath, does that come from not having a bunch and you're trying to get what you didn't have? Or does it come from a phenomenal example of a previous entrepreneur in your family? Like, where does that come from? Where does that stuff? Yeah,
1: I, I'm super glad my parents don't listen to any of the podcast stuff I do. But we were we were white trailer trash. No, I'm just kidding. We did live in a trailer at one point, but my parents had been bankrupt uh, twice that I know. Um, And we never, they always lived paycheck to paycheck. Money was always a stressor. I'm pretty sure the reason why we had Christmases sometimes was because my grandma would pay for us to sure. be able to have stuff. And uh, I think just from an early on stage is just, I didn't like, I didn't like that. And I never wanted that. And almost, this sounds terrible. And I love my parents, but almost anything that they did, I associate almost negative with, and I've just ran the other direction. And I, and yeah. that's one of them.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. It reminds me, I had, I didn't know my dad until I was 24 years old. He didn't know I existed. And so before that, my mother-in-law was married at a pretty young age. And she said, Hey, Chaz, like, why, do you, why are you so pushed? Why are you so driven? and uh, and she asked if it was because i was trying to not become who i thought was my dad and and so even though i would say our upbringings from a financial standpoint were similar i was the other side of the coin i wasn't i was always felt like i was running toward whoever it is that i wanted to become but i know it's it's one or the other usually it's i don't want this or i want this and it's one or the other and it sounds like we were on different sides of the coin there but it's great it's the same it's the same place of inspiration let's just say yeah for sure Okay. How did you get started in business? Obviously you got several, but take us back a little bit. How did it all come together at the very beginning?
1: Gosh, it's a long story, but uh, I'll just keep it somewhat brief. Right out of high school, I went into the military. I was in the military for four years. I did one tour over in Afghanistan, got out, wow. served a two-year church mission after that, okay. uh, came back to my the area I served a mission, which happened to be Missouri, came back, married a gal, started going to school to become a dentist, was over halfway through my major, job shadowed a bunch of dentists. Uh, was about to take the DAT and which that's to get into dental school. And I was like, I hated it. I didn't like it. Every, and every dentist I job shadowed, they seemed to hate their job too. And and the whole time I had been interested in business and real estate. So I was like, you know what, maybe I'll just switch my degree to business, which is what I did. And this whole time, every summer in between semesters, I was doing door-to-door pest control sales Uh, My first summer I made $50,000, which is significant for a college student.
0: Oh yeah. Especially in a uh, three month period of time.
1: Yeah. So one, one thing led to another next thing, you know, I'm dropping out of college and starting my own pest control company and that's, and we've just taken off since then.
0: Wow. First off, thank you for your service. Can't thank you enough for that. We appreciate that dude. I so resonate with just you're thinking you're going to go one way and then the circumstances changing your story. But my wife's a dental hygienist. So I know the dental world a little bit. And you're right, dude. Most of those guys are not business owners. Um, They've got a job. And I think the ones that are uber successful think of just, just maybe like contractors or whatnot, just like a pest control company. If you're just a pest guy, then then it's just no more than being a dentist. Yeah. But if you're a business owner or a business guy, then you're running a business. And the widget just happens to be teeth or in your case, pest control or, or whatever it is. I think you, what you experienced there is what I experienced with insurance early on. I did
1: that too for about a week.
0: Yeah, yeah. But it's, the, <laughs> but it's the same thing across the board. Like we we can find that one thing where it's all about the one individual or you can build a business. Yeah.
1: And that's the other thing too, is that's had been a huge transition for me. I don't know if people have read Cashflow Quadrant by Robert Kiyosaki, but a lot of people, including Dennis, they're stuck in that self-employed category and they haven't moved over to the right side of the quadrant, which is owner-investor. And it's funny because a lot of people will say, oh, I'm a business owner. Just because you have an LLC yep. doesn't mean you own a business. A lot of times you own a job and you're working in your business, not on your business. And I, I think that's just there's just a different mind shift Uh, mindset change that happens.
0: 100%. Yeah. And I think that is actually where a lot of the value, I think, will come here today. A lot of guys listening today have a six-figure business. They haven't been able to hit the seven-figure mark yet. And that's a big part of what we do here in Gathering the Kings is how can we give them some nuggets from your experience today to move them along? And so I want to know at the beginning, you have this non-entrepreneurial background. You've got this, I thought I was going to be this medical person. And then I I want freedom more than that. And so you get involved in your first business, which started actually from sales. I want to know a good decision that you made in those early months or years, specifically around the six-figure mark, where you're just trying to grow and scale, and this decision happened that we can write down.
1: Yeah. And just to be clear, my personal net worth is I'm a millionaire, but my business is not there yet. So it's still in the early stages. It is grossing six figures for sure next year probably will be seven figures. But some of the things that we focused on early on that I felt was very beneficial, and it's probably because I read all the time. I read almost daily. I knew from the get-go I wanted to create systems so that my business could run without me, so that I could go on vacation with my family or go do other things and not be working in the business and have a job, but actually have the freedom that I wanted. So that's one thing I focused on. I really focused on quality of service and getting Google reviews, which really propelled the business. And I'd also i also say probably the, the other thing that I focused on from the get go that helped me scale my business is having mentors. Like, yeah. I, I know I'm not the smartest person in the room almost every single time. And I just, I am very good at leveraging other people's time, effort, talents, resources, and using that to help me scale.
0: Yeah, I love it, and thank you for being uh, reminding me and just being honest there because you're right. The majority of folks that we have on the show have done seven figures in revenue, but and the reason why that is is because and we have and you can do either one qualify with the net worth or with the revenue, and the net worth is actually harder. I want to I want to take a little side note here and go to that because most guys just because you've done seven figures in revenue doesn't mean that you're keeping it and let alone that it's part of your net worth. So there's like several stages here, usually of doing seven figures and then having a net worth of seven figures. So the fact that you have multiple things going on at the same time, has that gotten you there or was it real estate? Like how did you get the seven figure net worth before doing seven figures in revenue?
1: Sure. Yeah, definitely. The pest control has helped because it's helped be able to fund a lot of real estate, especially at the beginning when I didn't understand I knew the concepts of leveraging other people's money and not using sure. my own money. But the first okay. three deals I ever bought in real estate, I was putting the typical 20% down, had to come up with the money, right. yada. Right. but now I have systems in place. I have better knowledge. Now I'm able to leverage other people's money and get into these properties that are cash flowing, that are paying for themselves and has, drastically grown my net worth. So really it's probably stemmed from real estate, but I couldn't have done that. If I didn't have the systems in my pest control business, I wouldn't have been able to have the time to, to focus on real estate more.
0: I love it. I love it. And so is that a natural transition for you to think as a business owner is building, maybe there's not like a certain distinction of revenue, but as he's building systems, he's slowly removing himself. And then real estate is the next uh, attention unit play for an entrepreneur.
1: Yeah, I'm one of those people. I'm like super laser focused. When I am on something, I like block everything out. So it's a it catch twenty two. It could be good and bad. I think so. If they're especially if we're looking at the cash flow quadrant, the quadrants right. to build wealth, like b- building a business is a great way to build wealth. But then also investing your money, and it doesn't yeah. have to be real estate. I just happen to like real estate. Sure. So that's why I went that route.
0: Yeah, no, I love it. You're right. It can be in several different ways that you maybe invest. It's funny. We had our in-person mastermind for Gathering the Kings, our seven-figure and above group. We met in Florida just a couple of weeks ago, did some deep sea fishing and did, had an awesome time. But one of the things we talked about was this, you know, okay, so you're making good money. What are you doing with it? And so they, uh, I didn't actually dub it this, but my the guys in the group dubbed it the King's role. And because I talked about how I took money from the first business and I bought the second one. I took money from the first one, second one, and I bought the third one. And I took money from the first, second, and third, and I bought the fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh. And all the meantime, I'm still working. I'm putting money into real estate. I'm just like rolling, rolling, just yeah. not taking anything. Don't pay me, buy the next thing, buy the next thing, buy the yep. next thing. And that's what you're talking about.
1: It was so funny too, because I had this conversation with one of my other friends, that's a multimillionaire and I'm like, man, because as soon as I hit, I just recently hit the, the millionaire mark and I'm like, man, I feel poor as crap, dude. Yeah. <laughs> and he's, yeah, it's not all that it's cracked out to be. He said, you, right. you're going to feel poor till you hit your first 5 million. <laughs> and I'm right. like, I'm seeing that, but that's a lot yeah. of it's because I'm taking the cash and we're reinvesting it where there's usually not much money in the bank because we're constantly like, Buying trying to buy up more businesses, start new businesses, get into more properties and things like that.
0: Yeah. I think it's I think it's a, a good perspective. And he gave you the right number, that one to three million, it's not a lot. And I don't say that to discourage folks because you got to get there first. Right. There's got to be a stepping stone somewhere. I think that's um, why they
1: said the first million is the hardest to make, man.
0: The second and the third. And you just got, and you just, you just keep rolling it. But to, to go off of your point here, the day I became a millionaire, I was 29 years old. I knew it was going to happen with this one deal that I was doing. I knew that I had already done the math. Right. And so I walk over to my wife, deal's done. I shake her hand. And she's like, why, like We're in the garage, just me and her. What's going on here? Why are you shaking my hand? And I said, You're shaking the hand of a 29 year old millionaire. And she was like, Wait, what? And so I did some math with her and she was just, cause I'd been talking about it. I'm going to do this before I'm 30. I'm going to do this before I'm 30. I'm going to do this before I'm 30 and shook her hand. She smiled and smirked and said, you little sucker. <laughs> and I went back to work. Like nobody else knew. Yeah.
1: I Nothing didn't else post changed. on
0: Facebook. <laughs> Nothing else changed. I just went right back to work. I, I relate to that hundred percent.
1: Yeah. I, that's my goal too, is to get. So right now I've hit the first million and I still feel, like I said, poor as crap. But, but by the time I'm 35 is what I, I want to be a multimillionaire by the time I'm 35. So that's my where I'm working towards. So I, I love it,
0: man. And just like everybody else says, the second and the third, especially since you got multiple industries happening, like I said, it's multiple hoses filling up the pool. I've I heard that many years ago, and uh, that concept has just always made sense to me. So
1: uh, I just thought of something to you asked me, and I didn't actually answer the question is how I was able to f- take my focus off of pest control some and to get into real yeah, estate, which we kind of yeah. highlighted the systems. But I was also able to do that because anything that I do, I try to think, how can I use somebody else's time, effort, energy, yada, yada, yada. So I originate to delegate to elevate. Like I'd say that all the time to my, even my office staff, he's my office manager. Actually, he's, he's practically running my pest control business. Yeah. I say, Hey man, delegate to elevate, keep delegating some of your stuff so that you can elevate and continue to move up with me. And which has been really cool because him and I've been doing leadership stuff and we've been going in, I've been teaching him about real estate and we, cause my goal is to help make him a a millionaire too. But anyways, so.
0: No, dude, I love it. I love your heart actually behind it. That's what I'm hearing is that you've got somebody who's good, right? And I think that there's you could say that's difficult to find, but you and I both know that there's good people all over the place. It's just a matter of whether how you treat them and whether they feel like they're in a good place where they too can grow. I love the idea of making him a millionaire or helping him become, obviously it's going to be his choice and the decisions that he makes like you, but to be able to provide that roadmap has something on behalf of him. I think it's just incredible. So that's awesome. Hey, Kings and Queens, Chaz Wolf. I want to talk to you about something that's super important to me. We put a lot of time and effort. We meaning myself and my team into this podcast, into the content that goes out every single day. And if you have been getting any sort of value or insight from this, we want it to be able to reach other business owners too. So we would love if you would like comment, share, leave a review, post, share again, (laughs) all of the things on social media, on all the different platforms, or even on the podcast mediums of Apple and Spotify. We would love to be able to get our content into more hands, more entrepreneurs, so they can grow their business as quick as possible. Together, we are building a community of like-minded entrepreneurs who are committed to growing their businesses to new heights. So let's do this. Let's help
1: each other. Let's help each other grow.
0: What about a bad decision, bro? Give us the juicy details. What have you done to just screw things up?
1: Gosh, do you want me to talk real estate? Do you want me to talk? I mean, give me the juiciest one you can think of. (laughs) Dude, I'll tell you the most recent one that I did that cost me probably over $20,000. So I bought this real estate property, got it off the market or off market. So it wasn't on the MLS. I bought it for 85,000. It was going to take about 40, 45,000 to fix it up easily worth 170,000. So I was going to be able to refinance it, pull cash out, do the whole nine yards. I got a contractor in there because I was being cheap. I got a cheap contractor in there. And because I'm a person that doesn't like to micromanage people and I didn't have the system in place for this property, I pretty much let the contractor do his thing. I showed up one day and he was texturizing as he had put new fixtures in, which is like a big no-no. His job site was a mess. He was jumping from job to job. It was a complete disaster and the big mistake that I made is not only did I have the, not have the system in place or do my due diligence to make sure he was a good contractor, yeah. I paid him. I had already paid him up in full and the job wasn't mm. completed. Ooh. So basically I'm out over $20,000 and I had to call up a friend that's a contractor that I never used before because I was like, oh, he's too expensive, even though he does good work. Don't be cheap, man. Don't be cheap. Anyway, so I called him up and I said, dude, I'm in a pickle. Can you come fix this? Now he's working on it and the house is fantastic. And I'm really hoping because of the work he's doing, it might appraise for more than what I originally anticipated. And I'm hoping that I'll still be able to make money on this deal.
0: Yeah. So the lesson there, you said it several times, don't be cheap. But I think that can apply to so many different areas of business. It's First off, just because something's expensive, let's identify this. Just because something's expensive doesn't mean necessarily that it's the best there's a false understanding there as well but this idea of i'm just going to get it for cheap i'm going to get it for cheap usually doesn't work out whether that's with your team whether that's with vendors whether that's with relationships with other folks like i have just experienced this myself the almost the exact scenario in real estate that you just described i went through that i had a guy i had a guy at the very last the one of his last punch list items he wanted to do electrical <laughs> you, everything else is done what you talking about we need to do electrical anyway the reality is that the checklist But then it's also the mixture with, I got to find quality people. Yeah. Coming out of that now, obviously you just said, now I've got systems in place, but how does that help you in the future? Having gone through.
1: Yeah. I, we, I just had a guy on my podcast and he wrote a book about professional, I think it's called professional failure, but it's a great concept and it's true. in anything is stuff's not a failure unless you don't learn from it, then it's a failure. This has been a very expensive learning curve for me. So now I know not to make that mistake again, but I'm so grateful that I made the mistake. It could have been a bigger deal with more money down the road. And so I, I completely learned from this and now I'm able to go forward.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The mindset of professionally failing is is 100% right. For you, does that translate over, I'm curious, into the other businesses? Like, how or how does it? Because it does, obviously. But how does this mistake in real estate translate over to the pest control company?
1: Yeah, it translates in a couple different ways. First of all, you can look at it as I hire the contractor. So he, he's essentially an employee for me, right? Hire slow, fire fast. Do your due diligence. If someone's not a right fit for the culture or you're having some red flags, fire quickly, but hire right. slow. That's one thing. The other thing, uh, probably, is just to make sure you have systems and a team in place because that's going to propel you and help you to be successful. If it wasn't for the systems I created early on in my pest control business and working on empowering my employees to make those decisions, to make changes so that they can continue to add to the system or improve the system, I wouldn't be where I'm at today.
0: Yeah. One thing that you said that I want to just highlight for the listener as well, you said, I'm not the type of person that wants to micromanage. And at some point we realize that people, most people need to be managed. That's why they're not entrepreneurs or even subcontractors, contractors that we're using or vendors they need to be managed to a degree. And so even though it may not be you, your personal trait that is a good manager, there still has to be managing traits or systems in place. And so maybe it's just a checklist for the contractor, or maybe it's you actually, now you have a checklist of how you follow up on a property or your pest control, whatever it is. The reality there is that whether as an entrepreneur, we like personally to be micromanaged, because that's really what we're saying is I don't want to be micromanaged.
1: (laughs) That's why I'm an entrepreneur.
0: (laughs) That's why we're entrepreneur. But the reality of it is that in order to get stuff done, the process has to be managed. And so if it's not you that's willing to micromanage it, or at least create the system for someone to follow, then you've got to find somebody who can ride the pony is what I call it. Like like We got to get on and we got to go. Otherwise, it's just never going to get done, at least not to the pace that, that we're hoping for as entrepreneurs.
1: I really liked what you said too, is that the process has got to be managed. I have found that 99% of the time, if something is not happening or getting done in the workforce, a lot of times it's not the person, it's the process. So you always got to blame the process, not the person. And so you got to go back and reevaluate. We are implementing a program in my a pest control company. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called Two Second Lane. Okay. Paul Akers, no. the owner of FastCap, created this. And anyways, one of my mentors, i talked about him to you earlier is Hugh Carnahan, the hillbilly millionaire has taught me this, this, um, platform and essentially what it is it's all about. And this is where I think we miss the mark as business owners, our purpose in our business, us as entrepreneurs, as business owners, our purpose is to develop our people. That's our number one job. And so if we can develop our people and empower them to problem solve and critically think, And empower them to make changes and allow them to do that to make their life easier. So whatever's bugging them, fix that thing. Dude, you'll start growing so much. It's just been awesome doing that with my company.
0: Yeah. The the, the phrase allergy there, we're gonna have to quote you on that, but it's the problem's not with the person, it's with the process. Because at the end of the day is if you're finding good people, if you're pressing into them, if you're empowering them, but there's a broken system, I think in every startup company, you have this period of time. It could be a couple of weeks, could be a couple of years where you're just kind of fumbling through things. And hopefully like I've done with several <laughs> is you find really good people that can give you grace to kind of work out the process because it's not, it's not going to be perfect. That's for sure. And you've got to have somebody cause it's not their fault either,
1: <laughs> yeah. but we
0: got to be able to come together and go, okay, so there's a problem here and we got to identify it and we got to fix it. But that's the process that we're like, especially in a startup or sub seven figures, you're really trying to get the momentum going, which is yeah. all around both of those things, the people in the process.
1: That's what's awesome about what we're doing with two second lean is in the in, every morning from 7:30 to 8. If you're working that day, I pay my employees to fix what's bugging them. So we call it the th- 3s time, which stands for sweep, which is basically clean up the area or organize area, sort, and that means you know what you use most closest to you and what you use least either higher or further away from you or even lower. And then standardize to standardize it. And if you empower your people to make those decisions, especially since they're like, for example, my technicians, they're the ones out in the field. They're the ones spraying pest control. So they know more stuff than I know, even at the higher level, because they're out in the field. For an example, where I'm going with this, is we made a process to where they get in the they get out of the truck when they're at a customer's house, they grab the backpack sprayer, they grab the handheld sprayer. They walk up to the front of the door, put the backpack sprayer down, use the handheld, go on the inside, come back out, drop the handheld down, grab the backpack, do the outside, then grab both and put in the truck because we're thinking on such a micro level of how to be more efficient, more effective and yada, yada. I did a ride along with one of my guys and he wasn't doing that. And I'm like, why aren't you doing it? Come to find out. Because the backpack's so heavy, it was a pain in the butt to put it down and then to reach down, grab it, and pull it back up. So now yeah. what we do is we back into people's driveways. The tailgate comes down. They put the backpack on there because it's on them. They just sit it there, and then and they do that. But you yeah. won't know that unless you follow the process all the way through. And-, and empower them to say, hey, when I take this thing off and get it back on, it sucks. I don't
0: like doing it. Yeah, um, fix, that thing. Be- fix yeah, exactly. that thing. Yeah, exactly. I love that attitude. Okay, so I wanna go speed round with you here. My first question is around your all-time trackable metric. So if we take all your businesses, real estate, pest control, lawn care, all these things, dwindle them down into one trackable metric, if you could only track the one forever and ever, what would it be?
1: Man, I saw that in your outline. And I instantly, three things automatically come to mind. And I don't know if I can narrow it down, but I'm just gonna tell you the three things and then I'll probably pick one from there. Your bottom line, right? Net income, your ratings, like your ratings. And then I'd this is probably, I'd say the number one. For me, because I'm doing two second lane. If my people are making improvements and not just in the company, but their own personal lives, then I know that my program of developing them is working. Uh, So that'd probably be my number one metric is to see them making those improvements in their personal life. If
0: you have people who are improving in their personal life and improving your business, are they engaged?
1: Oh yeah, for sure. And they're excited to come to work.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
1: Because they get to make improvements and their boss values their opinion and their ideas and they're empowered to make those changes you can offer people more and more money. A lot of times you don't need to offer more money. Just offer them the opportunity to make changes, to empower them to change ideas or to improve their job, to make it easier, more convenient, more comfortable for them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, this, I know it's probably not as applicable with pest control, but the work from home scenario for me, when companies started going work from home and a lot of people were anxious about it and then, and trying to get people back to the office as soon as possible. And to me i'm like like it's 2022 bro what can i offer my person if i'm a good manager if i'm a good communicator and a good person that sets proper expectations really all i want is a certain deliverable and if that person gets those deliverables done in hawaii fantastic if they get them done on their porch fantastic or if he gets if he's got eight routes to do and he gets those out, those eight routes done in 4 hours and the other guy gets them done in 8 hours what does it matter? I just, maybe I'm a little different in my thinking, but I just see it as a tool to be able to use inside of businesses, whether it's work from home or something similar. My point is that we can look at what it is that we're asking people to do and ask, does it need to be done this way? Since we've always done it this way, does it have to be done this way going forward? Or can it be different? Can we offer some flexibility here? Does that help them grow as an individual? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know.
1: You learn so much more by asking questions. Something we try to do in my company is ask why five times. It will help derive the solution a lot of times. Like, why are we doing it this way? Why this? Why this? And ask it five times and you'll be like, holy cow, here's a better way.
0: Yeah, dude. That makes me think of, oh, it's that old adage. It's the like Thanksgiving turkey or ham gets cooked in a pan and mom cuts off the end of the, this hand of the ham, that end of the ham and the daughter asks or son asks, Hey mom, why oh, yes. do we do that? And she was like, I don't know. Grandma always did. And so he goes into the next room and Hey grandma, why do we cut off the ends of the ham? She's like, I don't know. My mom always did. And so he goes in the next room. Great grandma's there. She's 90 years old. And hey, great grandma, why why do we do this? She's like The pan I used back in 19, whatever, it wasn't big enough. So I had to cut off the ends of the ham. And so here we are four generations later, still cutting off the ends of the ham with a huge pan. We don't need to. What what are we doing? Asking why is huge, man. I love that. Okay, What book would you recommend that a six-figure business owner, or maybe in your case, a six-figure net worth person uh, uh, read to try to get to that seven-figure net worth?
1: Gosh, I'm a big reader. There's a lot of books I could throw at you. But if I had to narrow it down to probably my number one, at least right now, is slide edge. And it's all about doing the daily disciplines, being consistent with it, because eventually it's going to compound itself. Like, it might be a grind at first, but eventually it's going to hit that growth curve. And all those little, small, simple things that you were doing on a consistent basis are going to propel you.
0: It's so good. It's a good reminder too. Such a good book. It's been years and years since I've read it, but you're hundred percent right. It's the 1% every day. And they do add up. I posted on Facebook a couple of days ago about basically if you just take a three-year extremely focused period of time, the rest of your life changes. It's just long enough where most people won't do it, but easy enough to where anybody can do it. Yeah. And that is the truth. That's the slight edge right there. Do you intentionally network or mastermind with other entrepreneurs?
1: Oh, for sure. I've got the growth circle podcast. So of course we get a lot of entrepreneurs and investors and business owners on the podcast. So we definitely network that way. I'm a part of a couple of masterminds, a couple of real estate groups. And in fact, me and some of my business partners were looking to create our own mastermind group. That's very exclusive and very small and intimate, but yeah, I network all the time. If I could get paid to network, man, I love networking, which I guess I do get paid to network because seriously, your net worth is your network, man. If I didn't have the resources and the people that I know, some of the opportunities that have come would not have come.
0: Yeah, 100%. Or even the knowledge to, to be able to handle those situations when they came. I think it's a for a sure. Both and hearing your story, especially with the, how you've built your wealth. That's fantastic. Okay. I got a question for you that's not on the sheet. Throw you a little curveball here. If you only had one hour in the week to work on your business, what would you do in that one hour to successfully run your business like you do now?
1: One hour a week? One hour a week. P- probably. Ooh, that's a tough one. I probably would just focus on developing my people. And we, we already have a system for that, that we do on a daily basis. So then I would just turn it into a weekly basis where we're developing my people and empower them to make decisions and improvements and standardize it.
0: Yep. Love it. Okay. And last question for you. If you lost it all, Jake, what would you do?
1: go after it again. (laughs) Like, it's so funny. Like, I feel like my mind around money has changed so much because I used to be, I used to have that scarcity mindset where it's, man, if I lose it all. And I feel like that fear limited me from my potential, some of my potential. And I've realized money's a game, man. Like sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, but dude, you can go get money again. It's not that it's once I've realized the power of like leverage and networking Dude, you can go get money and make money so easy. Yep. I love it.
0: The, uh, the idea of uh, rolling over didn't crush your brain. No.
1: But it was I, the, the, pri- the first pride in- was so
0: hard, though.
1: Come Dude, on. the pride in me would probably be like, oh, suck. Everybody saw me at the at doing what I was doing and then come down to the bottom. Yeah, it would suck. And I'd have a little bit of pride about it. But I just got to be humble enough to like, all right, let's go again. I'd like to see some of these other people try. At least I'm trying. At least I'm putting myself out there. A lot of people aren't even willing to step out in the
0: dark and try. It's funny. You're the first person. I've asked this question nearly on a hundred shows now. And you're the first person that's brought up the feeling of, oh, dang, it's pride, Yeah. but it's the, I once was, I was once featured on a seven figure plus podcast and now I have nothing. It's that moment where we can get in our own way, really. And so my question to you on that is, How is that for you? Or how do you think that same thing is holding the listener back?
1: I think that people get too caught up with fear and, oh, but I'm not this, I can't do this, yada, yada, yada. Or they feel like they don't have all the information to make the decision. Dude, you'll figure it out as you go. Just start taking massive action. You start taking action. You're going to learn and you're going to go. The thing is, and I'm a, a faith person, right? The opposite of fear is faith. And what faith is it's action. It's taking action when you don't know the outcome. That's what it is. So just go take action. Things will start happening.
0: Yeah, you're hundred percent right. And that does apply to faith in all areas. There's a lot of times where I don't understand things in business or things in the spiritual and talking about faith. And it's like, I'm going to take action in this regard, hoping that I figure it out along the way.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Here's like a little analogy. It's like a farmer, right? When he's planting a seed, he doesn't know if that seed's going to be good. He doesn't even know if it's going to grow. But if you plant the seed and then you begin to water it, you take action, right? You put it in a spot where it gets sunlight, you nurture it, and then it begins to grow. Then you, now you're like, okay, that's no longer faith because it's starting to grow.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Now it turns into confidence because you you know what you've done. It worked and, and now you can see it to fruition. You can execute at that point. Exactly. I love it. How can the listener connect with you? Obviously you got your show. Tell us how to find it, how to find you, all that good stuff. Yeah.
1: Check us out. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. It's the Growth Circle Podcast. And we talk about tips, entrepreneurship, real estate investing. So we've had a lot of really cool guests on there. So you can check us out there. And then Jake Engledew on Facebook, Instagram, and I'm also on TikTok as well.
0: That's awesome, man. We just appreciate your time. I know how valuable it is and you've been nothing but spectacular here today. So we wish you nothing but success in all of your endeavors, all your different hoses filling up that pool.
1: Thanks, man. I appreciate you having
0: me on. Thank you for listening to Gathering the Kings today. I hope that you were able to pull out a few nuggets to go apply into your business right away. More importantly, though, I hope that you're realizing that it takes more to be successful than just being by yourself, doing it all on your own, carrying the weight all by yourself. What I have realized not only in my own journey from multiple businesses and multiple different industries and now interviewing over two or three hundred other very successful seven eight and nine figure business owners is that it's tough to do it alone and so gathering the kings exists to bring together successful entrepreneurs in fact we are putting together one thousand kings specifically who are grateful but not done we're intentionally assembling kings I want you to take a look at what we're doing and see if it makes sense for you to be part of our pursuit to 1000 Kings. Talk soon.